Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, and now an online store. You can check out their new e-commerce solution so you can start selling stuff immediately. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, just go to squarespace.com twip and use the offer code twip5. This week on TWIP, the new Olympus Pen EP5 boasts an impressive lineup of features, a discussion about mirrorless camera photography in general, plus a deep dive into post-processing workflows. We've got listener Q&A, our picks of the week, plus at the end of this episode, an interview with Trey Radcliffe discussing his workflow. It's Wednesday, May 15th, 2013, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me to discuss the hot topics of this past week and more are Verena Patel, Jay Patel, and Mr. Topher Martini. Lots of new faces. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? All right. Awesome. Well, welcome aboard. Let's let's just do some quick roundtables to introduce you guys to the TWIP audience. I know, Jay and Verena, you've been on um, or at least exposed to the TWIP audience before, so they kind of maybe know who you are. Plus, you have gigantic followings online as well. So, Verena, let's start with you. Who are you, aside from being the better <laughs> half of Jay? <laughs> yeah, that's all I am, just Jay's better half. Just Go the better on. half, okay. <laughs> um, I am uh, Verena Patel. I'm a wilderness photographer. Uh, I've been shooting since I was a kid, and, um, you know, photography is is a huge part of who I am. It's it's just what I love to do. And um, yeah, I teach workshops and webinars with Jay. Uh, we write ebooks. We have a, a large collection of ebooks, and um, we travel all over the United States and the world and go to really cool places and photograph them. I love that. I'm I'm taking a clue from you guys. So, so a lot of a lot of folks on this week in photo know that I'm planning to go to Korea really soon to South Korea, and a lot of that decision to go was based on my conversations with you guys about how you plan your trips and how you uh-huh. you know sort of lay the whole thing out, go there and shoot and then come back and you know rinse and repeat. So right. I'm copying you guys. Thanks. So. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you. Good job. Welcome, welcome <laughs> Verena. Welcome to the show. If you come back with a bad photos, we'll say we don't know you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's highly likely. That's highly likely. So, Jay, tell us about you. Well, I am uh, Verena's worst half. Uh, I do. You're the kickstand kick to Verena? <laughs> yeah, carry our bags. No, no. I am a wilderness photographer just like Verena. We, we both uh, take workshops all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, usually only one workshop. So if you guys want to join our workshop, it'll be next year. We will announce it um, cool. on our website. Uh, we write ebooks. Um, I take wilderness photographs um, as much as I can and uh, avoid taking as many people photographs as I can. Excellent. Excellent. Well, cool. Well, welcome aboard. It's always a pleasure to talk to both of you guys. 
and the new voice on the show finally. So just let me set Topher up a little bit. So Topher, <laughs> Topher is a good friend, of course, and we met uh, several years ago. And Topher uh, volunteered to help with the show notes, which is basically the backbone of TWIP. You know, we can't do the show without the notes and the, and smart people that are smarter than me put the notes together. Um, and all I got to do is like bring up the Google Doc and complain about what's in it, and then read <laughs> read it on the air. So Topher made all that stuff happen, and now he's gone and he's doing amazing stuff at Lytro, which he's going to tell us about in a second. So Topher, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for the introduction, Fred. You know, yeah. uh, basically, I'm an artist and technologist in residence in uh, the Silicon Valley. For a long time, worked at Apple and decided to get more creative in kind of both my professional and other interests and ended up taking some time off. And that's when we got involved with TWIP and eventually coming back and working at Lytro and now having a really awesome time uh, kind of finding different fun projects like Trey Ratcliffe's Stuck on Earth application, which oh, we're coming out on Android sometime soon here. And, uh, you know, really kind of getting a better balance between the creative path and the professional path. That's cool. Yeah, that yeah, we, we have our I, I miss our over coffee conversations where we just sort of talk about the whole idea behind like finding your what's the best thing for you to do? Because the you know, a lot of people you and I talked about a lot of people wanna their holy grail is to retire and live on an island somewhere and you know and some people don't want to do that. Clearly we don't want to do that, but you know, it's it's we should do a whole hangout on that. Just we're overdue for a coffee, definitely. Yes, yeah, we'll do. Yeah, we'll do a hangout called Frederick and Topher over coffee, <laughs> or at Starbucks or something like that. Cool. All right. Well, welcome, Topher. Thank you very much. Um, and then quickly, yeah. yeah, good, good, good to have you here. So quickly on my list here, just to talk about real quick, I want to remind the listeners that we are in the midst of our TWIP photo contest. This one is on nature. And landscape. So, if you have a stunning landscape or nature shot that you want to enter into the contest, the link to it uh, to enter will be in the show notes. We're doing it with a with a company called Viewbug, which is amazing. They're you know to me they're kind of like the 500 picks of photo contests. You know, so that kind of UI where it's just glossy and beautiful and and easy to navigate. So, definitely check us out over there. And uh, the prizes for that contest are. A, you're going to get a 20 by 24 eye acrylic, three-quarter inch thick stainless steel backed print of your choice, you know, from one of your images, obviously, hopefully the winning image. And um, you're also going to come on the show with us and sit in the hangout while we record the show and talk about your image with the co-hosts. So this should be a should kind of a rounded out kind of prize there. Um, the second thing on my list is... Uh, so speaking of Trey Radcliffe, Topher, you mentioned him. So Stuck in Customs has a new landscape and travel tutorial available up there that uh, that's really awesome. I was just watching it earlier today, and uh, he's kicking us down 20% off if, if the TWIP listeners want to get that thing and learn how to take landscapes and enter them in our contest. Um, so you can grab that. Just use the code TWIPPHOTO, T-W-I-P PHOTO. And uh, yeah, definitely check that out. And then finally on my list, a, a new Twipper, a new Twip co-host, Matt Granger. So Matt was on the show that I was just mentioning before we started the show that that crapped out on Google Plus uh, <laughs> last week. We weren't able to record it for technical difficulty reasons. Uh, Matt was on there. He was actually dialed in from a remote location, some island off the coast of Hong Kong. And he dialed in found a hotel there somehow, found bandwidth, albeit bad bandwidth, but he found bandwidth and jumped in the hangout with us, which was amazing. But some of the things that he wanted to tell, talk about on the show, he wasn't able to talk about. 
Specifically, he wanted to let the TWIP listeners know that he's got some workshops coming up. And he's doing a London meetup in Camden on May 16th. And his flagship full weekend workshop, it's called Take Control of the Light, is May 17th and 19th. Um, and intimate, he's doing an intimate nude portraiture workshop on the evening of the 20th. I'm going to say May 20th. He's got a Berlin meetup um, in Alexanderplatz on May 23rd and a Take Control of Light workshop, May 24th to 26th, and then another intimate nude workshop on the 27th of May. You can find out all the details on all of his cool workshops at um, That Nikon Guy, yes, That Nikon Guy dot com slash workshops and when I interviewed Matt I asked him about that Nikon guy name and he regrets it because he talks about all kinds of stuff not just Nikon but you know now he's branded as that Nikon guy by definition so a quick nod to our sponsor this episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by the fine folks over at Audible this podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks. They've got more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, and they feature audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of TWIP, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give, uh, give you the chance to try out the service. One audiobook to consider is one that I've been rereading. I actually have listened to this a couple of times, um, but one I wanted to recommend that you you listen to is called You Incorporated. It's really cool. It's about the, uh, basically, it's uh, the author is Harry Beckworth, and it's about how to position yourself as your own sort of personal corporation. It's one of those self-development books that sort of gets you thinking about ways to position your mind so that you look at yourself as the company. Whether you work for another company or not, you can still be You Incorporated, kind of doing your things with the ultimate goal in mind of benefiting you, you know, not so much selfish, but just sort of looking at things from the standpoint of how do these different things that I'm doing build my personal brand. So definitely check that out. And you can check it out using the uh, using Audible because they're with their free offer. You can get your free audiobook. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip and check it out. And also Audible has a couple of big releases coming in May. One is the first one is called is by Dan Brown. It's called Inferno. It's coming on May 14th. Je- definitely check that out. The second one is coming on May 21st. It's called And the Mountains Echoed by Khalid Hosseini. And uh, these are two new releases that are coming from Audible. Definitely check those out. Audible.com slash twip. All right, guys, let's jump into the stories. The first story, number one here, is on um, something that's been at the top of my mind for the last month or so. And that's these mirrorless cameras. These mirrorless cameras. So Olympus, uh, what is it, about a week or so ago, announced the new Olympus Pen EP5, which which a bunch of new features in there. So let me, let me talk about the new features in it first. And then I want to not so much harp on this particular camera, but I want to get you, your guys' thoughts on mirrorless technology in general. So first of all, it's got fast, the, this new camera, the Olympus Pen EP5, has fast autofocus and what they're calling super spot AF, which means you can, instead of having a square on as an autofocus point, it's a smaller area. So it's good for macro stuff when you want to focus on a bug's eye or something like that. Um, it's got the same five axis image stabilization that's in the OMD. It's got a flash sync speed of 1 320th of a second. It's got built-in Wi-Fi 
So, which is cool. So before, like for my camera, you had to buy a, an iFi card, stick it in there to shoot and send images directly to your your devices or to the computer. But now it's got it built in, which is cool, and it's got a, a lag time of only point zero four four seconds. I'm assuming that's the startup time. So. Um, Let's talk about this a little bit. Uh, Jay, I want to start with you. So mirrorless technology, doing what you guys do, booking these trips around the world, going to these exotic locations and coming back with great images and writing the ebooks and all that. You shoot with DSLRs right now. Are you familiar? First of all, are you familiar with the mirrorless technology and micro four thirds type Oh, yeah. Cameras? yeah very and what do, you, what do you think? What do you think about that? Like these cameras overall and cameras like this OM, this new. Um, what is it, the, the PIN EP5, are these the wave of the future? I think um, there is definitely a market for them. Um, there's a market for them where our space and size, our constraints are mm -hmm. um, a, a big factor. So oftentimes we will take, yeah, we'll take uh, an airplane ride and, uh, or a helicopter ride, and we're only allowed to bring so much gear or so much by weight, right? Mm -hmm. In that case, if you're going to bring a backup camera, uh, or the lens, you may bring mirrorless camera as a backup camera. Now, having said that, uh, the environment that we operate in is pretty harsh. Mm -hmm. The what? Say that again. The what is harsh? The environment we operate in. We will be shooting in the rain, the snow, fog, right. rain. Mm -hmm. There will be shawl spray. So in order to operate the camera with a touch technology in the field is difficult because oftentimes it will be very gloves, it will be very cold. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, you need those capacitive touch gloves if you want to. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> but <laughs> so for us, uh, the usage is limited. However, if you are, uh, if you want something really small, fast, mm -hmm. uh, very mm -hmm. DSLR um, crop factor capable, it's a great technology. Okay, okay, that's fair. So, so I, I'm not going to mention that that the OMD at least is the first weather sealed. Uh, micro Four Thirds camera, but anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> well, it isn't just about weather sealing. It, I need to be able to to function and control it with uh, with oh. uh, with uh, not having water running down the back of the camera. If it yeah, is. yeah. And if my touch technology doesn't work with under those conditions, weather seal or not, yeah, it's not useless. It's useless for me. Right on the the OMD. I think, and I like I said, I just got this camera. The the touch screen on the back is optional so you can you can access the menuing structure by tapping on things in there but you can also get to them by rotating the dials and you know it sort of hops to different menus or using the the right. five point control thing but yeah no i definitely hear you you know if you're that's one of the key points of the, having this camera is having a touch screen on there if you can't use it because it's raining, then you know that that diminishes diminishes the use. Topher, what about you? So so mirrorless mirrorless technology. I look at you as like you analyze things. <laughs> In a lot of ways, you see the world as the matrix. So I'm interested to hear <laughs> to hear what you think about this. I mean, so about two and a half years ago, I actually went from Nikon to Leica of all people, mm. uh, and went the rangefinder route. The form factor, a smaller size, especially while traveling, is a huge advantage. Yeah. And I think all of these mirrorless ILC cameras that are coming out now are a huge improvement for everybody. You know, it might not be everybody's first camera that they have in their bag, but whether it be a second camera or something more as a creative kind of kick around that you might have as like going for a rock concert that you don't want to get your big camera damaged or something like that. Mm -hmm. I think those are really where a lot of these cameras can make a huge improvement. 
you know, sometimes when you read about all these crazy features, you think, you know, when in reality would I use that? But it's nice to know they're there and that you can turn them off for the most part. Right. And right. looking at kind of in the show notes, we talk about kind of Canon and Nikon and were they late to the show? Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing is looking at your investment in lenses that in the lifetime of your photography, that will far exceed how much you spend on a camera body. And so having a lens investment that can go from whatever your primary camera is to your secondary camera, you know, I think especially while traveling, uh, you know, carry on luggage is not getting any bigger. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, absolutely. I think that's a huge advantage. Just the size. So you're echoing what Jay said about the, the size and it being um, a secondary backup camera. Verena, what about you? Is that, is that your stance as well? The Micro Four Thirds cameras are, they're great, but they're the kickstand camera that stays in the bag and, and you're not going to use them as your primary. It's not going to replace your DSLR anytime soon. I think at this point I agree with you, but I, but I also have to say that I, I think there's a huge market for this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the, from a marketing perspective, you know, if you look at it from the company who's making these cameras, that you know, uh, all the different companies that are starting to jump into it, um, as they start to get more um, interesting, as they start to add these fun little features that we're not really seeing in the DSLR market because those are marketed to pros, um, yeah. people are going to get excited about this. There's the uh, the live time and the um, live bulb features and on this camera where you can set it up and you can actually uh, do a long exposure. Right, mm-hmm. and you're you're watching. I just discovered that. The, I just discovered yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, this is really yeah. cool. And what's happening is you can actually see it as it's changing on the back of the camera, so you can watch and and uh, know when to stop your your long exposure, which is incredible. Forget all the calculations. Forget you yeah. know trying it five times, and then. This this latest one is now letting you have a histogram while you do that, and and maybe a lot of people don't care about that. You know, a lot of people that's not a big deal, but for me, that's huge. I want that histogram. It it means everything. Yeah. Um, and so, not only are they coming up with these neat, new, exciting sort of different capabilities that we haven't seen in other cameras, um, they're also starting to say, okay, well, we want people to take these seriously, so we're going to do things like make sure they have that histogram uh, and yeah. stuff like that. So it's going to take some time. They're, they're, it's going to take a little while for them to figure out exactly how they want to do this um, and, and what people really want and what features they can just junk. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, if they can get the touch screen so it works really well, if they can get the, the flip screen so it's working really well, and I'm hearing that this flip screen is actually great. It sets yeah. in. You can almost not even tell that it's there. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, you're, you're pulling it out. That can be a really useful feature for people. Yeah, it's, so. a, it's, yeah. A, it's, it's interesting. It's funny that you bring up that the live bulb um, and the mm-hmm. live time feature of these cameras because I discovered that because I'm, like, geeking out, going through the manuals <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the obligatory YouTube videos. I'm watching good and horrible videos. I mean, there are lots of videos um, about this camera, but specifically the Olympus OMD. So I'm watching, and I get to this one that I was reading this article online. This guy was talking about the long exposure piece of it. He's like, and he wrote it, you know, really quickly, like, oh, yeah, and you can see the exposure develop on the back of the camera, and then blah, 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 blah. I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) Wait, you can what? (laughs) I couldn't have read that right. I couldn't have read that right. Yeah. That's what I did. I, I, I did the same thing. I was like, wait a minute. Did he just say what I thought he said? <laughs> Read that again. Yeah. Yeah, because you know, you guys back in the day with film, like if you're going to do a long exposure, you, you like you said, you calculate it, and it's mostly a guess, right? You're like, okay, right. click. I'm going to wait. And then you develop the film, and you look at it. 
with digital or traditional digital SLRs, long exposures, you can do some amazing work, but you're waiting until the exposure is over and then it finishes and you see the image, you know, right. and then you do it again if you messed up. With these cameras, you see it building yes. <laughs> during right. the exposure, then you click the exactly. button when you think it's done, you know? Yeah. It's and like you know watching what? a cake. You're like, okay, the cake's done, let me take it out of the oven. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and you know, and that, and that takes us, us to something else. You know, the fact is, if these cameras start to become more popular, if these features start to get people excited, other camera companies are going to start paying attention. Mm -hmm. And Nikon and Canon are going to say, oh, people want that? Well, maybe we can put that in the next Beautiful. 5D. You know, right. maybe we can pull that into the next iteration of, of the cameras that people are, are using professionally. Absolutely. And that so would be totally really cool. <laughs> Topher, I have a question for you then. So, so you said you, you jumped from Nikon to Leica, right? Correct. So Leica, as I was doing my homework, is one of the – so the Micro Four Thirds family of products or the standard of Micro Four Thirds and the mount for all the lenses is a consortium of Panasonic, Olympus, and Leica. But we only see Panasonic and Olympus – gear coming out or lenses coming out and very very few things from Leica. you may see Leica on a couple of lenses yeah, here and there what's up with that the co-branding thing with panasonic so yeah. it would be like a Leica lens on a and they also do the uh, uh Leica x2 which although it's not an interchangeable lens system you know copies a lot of of the technology back and forth and right i think you know, they see it as well. Uh, the X2 is a good example. And all of these kind of dedicated uh, lens cameras like the Sony RX1 and that mm -hmm. series, I think we're definitely seeing that people want a high-quality image, but they don't want to carry all the weight and the baggage that goes along with it. Yeah. And uh, just like Verena's saying, like there's these new features that as a photographer you might not experiment with normally. Um, you know, video is a yeah. key example that video has been in a lot of cameras for a really long time, but... You know, the video coming out of especially like the Panasonic Lumix GH3 mm -hmm. is just unbelievable. You it's know, insane. And that little tiny thing, it's just, yeah, it's insane. And especially, you know, for like interview series, I think that's a really great, great way to get your feet wet and try it out without investing in thousands of dollars worth of video gear. Yeah, it's interesting that you, that you brought that up because my, the, my criterion when I was sort of going through the exercise of which smaller camera do I want to get to take with me, on the list was the, the Fuji X100S, of course, um, and we won't go into why I didn't get it, but I ended up with the OMD, right? So the, one of the things that one of the, the restrictions that I placed on this was, okay, if I get the Fuji, then, you know, I'll, I will be restricted to which lens I can carry around. That will make me a better photographer. I can zoom with my feet, right, as they say. Um, however, when I got the, when I got the Olympus and I started, you know, I started doing my research or when I did my research and I got the Olympus, I realized that, okay, like for example, this new pen that we're talking about just came out. If I wouldn't pick that thing up, all these lenses that I got, I bought for my OMD will go on that little guy too. And I could use that for video and then use this thing for stills. And so it's it, the, my mindset of a, being a Nikon shooter, which I still am. Uh, my mindset of being a Nikon shooter just kind of gets distorted away from, you know, you have a Nikon camera and Nikon lenses, they're only going to go on other Nikon cameras. The F-mount is Nikon specific. Now there's Panasonic, you know, maybe some like uh, um, Olympus, and the lenses go everywhere. <laughs> you know? well, 
And also too, I mean, having a consortium like that is a great advantage for everybody because everybody wins. Yeah. But also if you're willing to put your lens in full manual, you can get an adapter that goes from your Nikon F mount or Canon EF mount all the way down to micro four thirds. Yes. You're just in control of the focus and zoom at that point. But uh, and it looks a little funny to have this really giant lens on a really tiny camera, but yeah, uh, it's definitely one way to get your feet wet there too. All right, Jay, let's talk about quality a little bit with these things. So these, the, the photography that you do, and I've seen it, it's, you know, you do these beautiful vistas and, you know, colors popping out, all this amazing stuff, right? So would, can you ever consider using a smaller camera or is it, you know, bigger is better? I need, you know, like cameras like the Nikon D800 with with what is it 24 megapixels on that thing i forget uh, 36 or 34 30 something something up there you know i don't have one obviously so i don't know. So, so what uh, do you think is it is 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 quality a concern for you with these smaller cameras not really actually if you look at the sensor size yeah. um, which in my opinion is the primary driver for the quality the mm -hmm. sensor drive size will of these cameras the mirrorless cameras is approaching sensor size of a crop factor DSLR, mm -hmm. right? Now, um, there's a DP uh, review article um, that I was looking at the sensor size of uh, all these cameras and um, they sort of hover around the crop factor size. So as far as the quality of uh, the images coming out of these cameras um, should be fairly equivalent to a crop factor camera. Now, yeah. both Marina and I carry crop factor body as a backup body. Mm -hmm. uh, for other different reasons. So am I, um, will I pick up the camera and use it? Absolutely. Um, in fact, we primarily believe that the quality of the images that you take has less to do with equipment and more to do with creativity. Because yeah. let's face it, if you think equipment creates quality, there'll be no good images 50 years prior. Right, Which right. Is not the case. Have you, Jay, have you ever gotten a comment when someone sees your camera that, wow, that's a nice yes. camera, Jay. It, it must take great pictures. <laughs> we, we have several articles on what makes good pictures. So I yeah. think that from a quality perspective, I think the sensor is very capable. Um, I really like what I like about the pen is even the standard lens is a really fast lens. Mm -hmm. So it, uh, it, it lets you do a lot of low light photography. Yeah. But um, if you really want to do, um, a very long exposure, very low light photography at very high ISO, for example, uh, capturing Aurora or capturing Milky Way, you're shooting at 5,000 Star ISO. trails or something star like trail. that. Yeah. Well, not, not star trails. Star trails are easy, but um, something where you want to freeze the motion of the star. Oh, okay. And capture okay. the light of Milky Way. In mm -hmm. that case, larger pixel size rule. Right, and right. In that case, uh, there is a distinct advantage of a full-frame DSLR. Um, so, um, but uh, if you look at my images, um, more than half of my images are from a crop factor. And if I had a Lumpus, oh. I'd probably grab that and and look at well, it. Which, fact, which which camera are you using? Which is uh, that a, a APS-C size sensor? Uh, yeah, I have a 70 as a backup camera. Okay, okay. And yeah. uh, some of my most favorite images are from. A camera called D30 made by Canon. I don't even know if you remember that. Mm -mm. You were probably mm -mm. just a little baby then. That was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was actually born yesterday, Jay. I don't know it if was, you told I know, you. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you're young, Frederick. Look at that. <laughs> no, just, thank you. Uh, thank you. I was. Uh, it was actually one of the first DSLR cameras introduced by Canon. Yeah. And it was a three-pack, three-megapixel camera. It came out in like 2001, I believe, or 2000. Really lousy dynamic range. But some of my favorite images are from that camera. Wow! Yeah, you know, I'm the nostalgia. I love it. It's amazing how people, you know, how people get attached to their camera. Like some of, I learned photography on a Nikon. What was it? An F3. You remember that? You remember that camera? The oh, Nikon yeah. is a tank. You know, I literally dropped a Nikon F3 out of a helicopter. <laughs> Still works. To this it fact. was well. We were it was we were hovering at about the tree line of some eucalyptus trees. You know, they they grow pretty tall, but not that tall, right? And something happened. I dropped it out, and so the pilot landed. I ran over, found it. The lens was trashed, but I put another lens on it and kept shooting. Good to go. It was, you know, the I don't know if that would happen with these mirrorless cameras. I don't know if they could. You could try it out there. when you go to Korea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I I do want to try to visit the DMZ when I get to Korea. I don't know, but I, then I may not come back. I don't know. Be careful, dude. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> I know this will be doing this week in North Korea with Frederick. <laughs> so, Topher, which which camera, which Leica do you own? Uh, I actually just picked up the M Monochrome, which is their black and white camera, and have absolutely fallen in love with it. You got that thing? That, I do. Topher, that thing is twelve thousand dollars. Right. Not that much, <laughs> you know, but not far from it either, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. Um, but. In the past couple of years, I've really fallen in love with print photography. Uh, you know, growing up in the dark room and, and getting experience to digital around the same time as the, the D30. Um, you know, those are the types of the things that you think about as a photographer. You know, you look at kind of the Google Christmas we got today of all these amazing new features for photographers. It's really coming up with the story of like, what is the type of photography you want to be sharing and what are the best tools to help you get there? And so for me, black and white photography is absolutely my passion right now. I and love it's it. one of the few cameras on the market that helps you tell a better story with it. But that's, I mean, that camera is expensive, A. It, it is an and, investment. And that's like, I mean, that's like buying a car that will only go to one location. <laughs> <laughs> you got to really like that location to be restricted to only going there. I mean, I mean, that's a lot of money for that. You could have bought a camera and then only shot black and white with it, right? Why, why <laughs> restrict yourself? There's a lot of different reasons uh, kind of in the production pipeline for it, you know, that with a traditional color imager, you have the bare filter that you're kind of guessing a lot of the gray and the color in between. Yeah. And uh, I do definitely see a value add, especially in the spatial resolution, what a lens is able to resolve on an imager. And But not to dive off too much in the technical deep end, it's really how many steps do you want to do from the time you click the shutter to the time you're sharing your image. Sure. This helps you cut out so many of those steps and get you to you know where you want it to be. And for me, that's print. Uh, if you're sharing to the web or sharing online, you're probably not going to see any difference. Um, especially just like highlighted today, you know, even a, a two megapixel image is more right. than what most people will see online. Correct. And yeah. uh, but when you're printing an image out, you know, 24 by 36 in image uh, inches or even larger, you know, that's where you really see the detail. And uh, ultimately, yeah. that's why I made the investment. Is it a rangefinder? It's a rangefinder. Yeah. Oh, you guys have a great selection of rangefinder in Leica. The yeah. quality of lenses are awesome. Topher, Topher, I have a question for you. Uh, so putting on your Lytro hat here, um, and I, I know you're going to, you know, we both worked at Apple, so 
Lytro doesn't talk about unreleased products or services. So I know all that, of course. So you can't talk about anything. But <laughs> isn't it possible, though, considering how these mirrorless cameras work and how there are no... Um, there's mirrorless, right? So there's no mirror, there's no diopter, or there's no pentaprism. There's no optics getting the image from here or from the front of the, the lens into your eye, all that stuff. Is it possible that you could one day maybe build Lytro-type post-shot focusing into one of these cameras so, because it's all digital anyway? Well, yeah, I think, um, you know, Ren Ung's uh, PhD thesis, who's the founder of Lytro, really mm -hmm. talks about a lot of this stuff in great detail. It's kind of the application of light field technology versus any type of product. So kind of sticking on the application of light field technology, you know, fundamentally anything with a lens and an image sensor can benefit from light field technology. Mm -hmm. And the software is very much in that not necessarily infancy stage, but really rolling out to see what people want to use it for. So, you know, as far as, you know, future applications, I mean, the sky's the limit. It's trying to stay focused on the type of pictures people want to take with it today and helping them tell it in a very different way. Yeah. Uh, you know, refocus was the first effect that got a lot of attention. In the past year, we've also come out with what's called perspective shift, which allows you to kind of peek around an image, almost like the, the Harry Potter kind of moving pictures type of feel. Oh, cool, cool, and yeah. All of that information is preserved in the raw light field. So it's kind of the combination of coming out with great new software and great new hardware. Um, and all of that kind of comes together in, in the world of computational photography. Love it. Well, I love it. Computational photography plus mirrorless equals <laughs> Harry Potter, basically, is what you're saying. <laughs> well, not saying any product news, but, you know, definitely it's a you know, great world of opportunity for where things could be going. Love it, Verena. What's your, what camera do you uh, do you? It, it, so what, what's the the main DSLR that you guys are sort of taking around the world with you? And if you had your choice of mirrorless, which one would it be? Um, boy, that's a good question. Um, yeah. I'll I'm start good with. At, uh, I'm good at those good questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, hmm, that's a tough one actually. But you know what? I'll start with the the, the cameras that we're using right now. Um, Jay and I each have a uh, 5D Mark III and we each carry a, a 7D as a backup. Um, there are times when a full frame camera is great, but there are also times when a crop factor camera is great. And yeah. you know, with a 1.6 crop, I can use a hyperfocal distance that lets me get super close. You know, at f16, I can get less than a foot away from my foreground object and still have, uh, still have, uh, you know, details in the distance that are perfectly sharp too. Okay, um, okay, okay, Rain Man. Before you continue, explain <laughs> to the people that don't know what a hyperfocal distance is. What that is? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I thought maybe we could just skip over that and keep. Going. <laughs> um, yeah, you can't be dropping terms like that without, without right, explaining. I'm sorry. Just, <laughs> sorry. A little bit cruel. Um, yeah, hyper Rain Man. Don't call me Rain Man. <laughs> okay, Rain Woman. I'm sorry. Okay, thank you. Much better. Okay, so <laughs> uh, hyperfocal distance is about um, getting the uh, greatest possible depth of field based upon your uh, the lens that you're using, the the uh, focal length of your lens, and the aperture that you're using. And it's something that you're going to use with really wide-angle photography. I'm not talking about, you know, getting out your your 135 millimeter lens and and using hyperfocal distance with that. At that point, your hyperfocal distance would be so great that there's no way you could really measure it in the field. Um, instead, we're using this for wide-angle photography, where we have 
something very close to us that we want to be in sharp focus and um, distant objects that need to be in sharp focus too. So imagine a photograph of a, a rock in the foreground, you have the ocean in front of you and then you have um, you know, sea stacks in the distance um, and, and clouds up in the sky. Everything in that photograph, in, if you are using hyperfocal distance correctly, you should be able to get everything in that photograph perfectly sharp. Um, so yeah. calculating that comes down to, uh, first of all, understanding the concept of hyperfocal distance and how it works with your, your uh, aperture and your focal length. Mm -hmm. um, and usually people will just use a calculator in the field to, to figure that out. There are hyperfocal distance calculators for your iPhone and your, your uh, Android phones. Um, and then people will print out a chart or something like that and bring it along if they don't have a, a, an app that will do it for them. So it's, it's once you know how it works, once you understand the concept, figuring out the number isn't difficult. Um, yeah. But it changes based on aperture, and it changes based upon uh, your, your focal length. So See, that, um, That's a sign of a real photographer that I can put them on the spot about something like hyperfocal distance, and you can <laughs> explain succinctly what it means. Were you worried? Were you yeah, thinking, that, that, oh... That's an easy question. Ask us something difficult. For... No, no, that'll do. That'll do. <laughs> what are you asking for, man? No. But, um, yeah, hyperfocal distance is one of the things that, that um, we teach on all our workshops because it's, it's huge. You know, we get a lot of um, beginning photographers who come up to us and say, what do you think of this photo? And, I, and, and a lot of times we'll say, well, um, you know, we'll come up with something nice, but the, the fact is your, your foreground's out of focus and it's distracting, or mm -hmm. your background's out of focus and it's distracting. And a lot of times we get the response, well, I was going for an artistic look. Right, you know, there's of nothing course, wrong that's the crutch, that, right? That's the fallback. But most crutch. of the time, it's not the case. You know, the fact is, it, you, you want to be able to choose whether or not to use the artistic look. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be forced into using the artistic looks. So. Right, yeah. Being an artist means, yeah, you could create something that looks completely haphazard, but you have to be able to do it again, you know? Exactly. <laughs> repeatable exactly. makes yeah. you an artisan, not just someone who's right. throwing paint against the wall, right? Right. So, okay. you know, concepts like that are, are neat to understand. It's really great to have that kind of understanding. But tying that into what I was talking about before, hyperfocal mm -hmm. distance... Uh, with a crop factor camera will be exactly the same, sorry, I should say, with a crop factor camera, assuming that your, uh, your um, aperture and your uh, focal length are the same, mm -hmm. your hyperfocal distance will be the same on a crop factor or a full frame camera. It doesn't change anything. But... Okay. On my crop factor camera, I have a 10 to 22 millimeter lens. And on my full frame camera, that lens doesn't fit. And so I can actually get even closer with that 10 to 22 millimeter uh, lens and still get the hyperfocal distance that I want, still get objects that are really, really close to yeah. my lens in sharp focus. And then I can benefit from the, uh, the wide angle perspective um, shift that you get, right? The, the objects in the foreground look really big and objects in the distance look very small and so uh, a lot of times that's, that's a technique that we use to um, really make objects in the foreground look extra big. That's, that's what you're them, seeing, yeah. you know, when you see those photos and you go, oh my gosh, look at that huge cactus. Well, yeah, it's not really that big, you know, we made <laughs> it look bigger because we got really close to it. Yeah, um, yeah. So, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. So, so then, okay. Second part of the question was yeah. your your choice of mirror 
ridiculous. If you had to, if you had to, you know, your your pick, your run of the store, they shut down B&H Photo for you for the day <laughs> right, and right. said you could go pick one, which one would you walk out with? You know, it's really tough, but I think I'd go with the OMD, um, what is it? It's, it's the, I think I have it over here somewhere written down, EM5. OMD EM5, right? Yes, that's the one. That's this yep, one. Yep, yep, yep. Yes. And you know why? Because it has better weather sealing than most of the others. And that's mm -hmm. kind of important to us. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a really tough decision. There are lots of, you know, different things that you'd have to weigh. But in the end, yeah. it comes down to whether or not it can be rained on, whether or not it's going to last for us. Because mm -hmm. it's, chances are it's going to get pulled out in a rainstorm. I, uh, I feel a reality TV show of, of you guys running around like Indiana Jones taking pictures and stuff. Yeah, you you want a reality coming. TV there's show of us coming. destroying cameras, I bet you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he wants. He wants to watch us break there, there is So we talk about the witch. We don't want to talk about that witch story, right? You remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, the yeah, we'll leave that for a later show. Yeah. <laughs> no, go ahead, Jay. What were you going to say? So I think that... Um, other thing that factor that concerns about picking the the camera is uh, choice of lenses, uh, like mm -hmm. Papa mentioned earlier. Is yeah. As much as I like to get Olympus, uh, I'll pick Olympus definitely because the weather ceiling is very important to me. But the BNH has to let me run around and pick my choice of lenses <laughs> because without that, it is absolutely useless. Yeah. To me with uh, with one lens. So so if I have to choose, if if I cannot have my pick of choice of lenses I'll, I'll select I'll keep I'll, I'll get the Canon mirrorless because mm -hmm. I have a range of lenses that can go on it and my creativity is limited more by my lenses than my body yeah Topher Topher let me let me have a, a different question I want to pose to you so when you're learning photography right so in the in the olden days of learning photography with that stuff we called film right the the sort of loop of once you take the exposure to getting the feedback of if you screwed it up or not, could have been days, right? Or if you had your own dark room, at least hours, right? Absolutely, yeah. Now, with digital, like traditional, and I hate saying, it seems weird, like an oxymoron to say traditional DSLR, but traditional full-frame DSLRs that the feedback loop is shorter, right? Because you take a picture and you just chimp and you look at the back and, you, oh, I screwed it up, you know? Um, now with these mirrorless cameras, it seems like it's even shorter because you can see live <laughs> what's like happening. Exposing, exactly. Before you even click the shutter, you see the effects of your settings on the image through the viewfinder. You know, in the case of the OMD, through you know, through the view piece, you can see the, you know, oh, it's underexposed. And you can bring up a histogram <laughs> or a uh, a yeah. curve. You can bring up curves. So you can say, I want to add more detail in my shadows or, or less in my highlights, etc. So how do you think this stuff affects the next crop of photographers that are coming now that the learning circle or that the circle of life, you know, Hatuna Makata, is now <laughs> like, like less than a second, is less than a second, you know? How, yeah. what, what do you think? Well, I think definitely immediate gratification is the name of the game. Like you guys were talking about earlier with this new Olympus camera, you, for long exposures, you can see it exposing. Yeah. If you know, I were in the position of learning photography for the first time, I think I'd second guess my work just way too much that, you know, okay, guys, stop the exposure and start all over again because it's not perfect. You know, and you're evaluating on the back of a very small LCD that I think there's something to be said for the time it takes to 
take a good picture, you know, review it in the right place, and then repeat. I think definitely people are in that immediate gratification loop of Instagram and other camera phone type of applications, which are amazing for creativity yeah. and sharing. When it comes to the investment in education and in the equipment for, you know, a, a bigger, better camera, you know, it's take the time. You know, there's an old, you know, 10,000 hours paradigm of, you know, how much time it takes to invest and actually do something right. It's, you know, I think 10,000 photos is another a great example of whether it be moving from one camera system to another or trying out different post-production workflow. It's really important to give yourself the right amount of time. And yeah. simply put, I think that's 10,000 photos. That, yeah, you got to get, you got to exercise your, your, your shutter finger, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. You could read you could read Jay and Verena's ebooks all day long, uh, <laughs> but until you go out somewhere and actually try the techniques they try to teach you in those, you're not. It's not going to wire up those synapses in your brain to actually understand what's happening, right? Yeah. But, but we still do recommend that you read our ebooks all day long. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> right, all of it. All of The entire catalog. <laughs> All right, guys. Let's let's switch gears a little bit. Um, I wanted to talk about just real quickly your your post processing workflow. So regardless of the camera that you're using, well, whether it's a you know Micro Four Thirds, an APS-C, or a full frame DSLR, when you're out there and you capture those images, you know you you're like a I look at it almost like a you know a longshore fisherman, right? You go out and you've captured all your fish, and you bring them back and you ingest them into your post processing app or digital asset management app of choice. Once you get those images in there, what do you do? Like, just quickly, step by step. Jay, let's start with you. So you got your images in there. You've culled them. Let's get to the point where you've culled it down, and there's a shot that you think this one might have legs, and I want to work on it. No, what I happens? Won't, I won't do that. First thing, when I download my images to my computer, the first thing on the plane, keywords. Oh, keywords first. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. So we will go through, both Raina and I will pull out our laptops. We're sitting on the plane flying back from this exotic location. We will keyword every single raw file that we had collected. Wow. Wow. That's it. Okay. And what, now, do you, what, do you, what do you, what's your app? Are you in Lightroom or Aperture or what? Um, we uh, don't shoot 10,000 photos. I don't think I've ever shot 10,000 photos on a trip. Um, but so um, the number of photos we actually take are fairly small. Because uh, we focus more on creativity, and um, so Bridge works great for us. For most, although we have Lightroom, and we can do it in Lightroom, the mm -hmm. keywording structure remains the same no matter what app you're using. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm using um, Bridge, but you can use Lightroom. The keywording works. Okay. 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 Once okay. the keywording works, then um, I will mark the photos I really want to process by starring, by uh, highlights, uh, colors, whatever your favorite mm -hmm. method is. And only when I get back to a calibrated monitor, I'll start processing them. Mm -hmm. I will yeah. not process any photos on my laptop because the screen moves around too much, light conditions are changing too much. That's interesting. That's interesting. Okay, so let me, let me there's a slight tangent on that. So. I was talking to, uh, or who was I talking to? I forget who I was talking to. We were talking about the idea that a lot of photographers are moving away from RAW in a lot of ways and preferring instead to shoot like they're shooting slide film 
and get it right on the JPEG and then share that out. Jay, what, what do you think about that? Is that... It's absolutely a ludicrous idea. It's a bad idea. <laughs> You're wrong. Word. You are That's wrong, everyone. <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Don't do no. it. Just for the don't people that it. are listening to this, Verena did a facepalm, as I was saying. <laughs> no, so here, here's a very simple reasoning, right? Um, to get to JPEG, you have to go to RAW. Yeah. So if, at, at this lowest level, what is RAW? RAW image is nothing more than this data that is captured by sensor without any processing applied to it. Now, you can say, sure, get it right in the camera and let the camera decide what processing to apply to it, like white balance and sharpening and tone curves and things, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. let it get to JPEG and say, sure. Or you can say, you know what? I have a raw image. If I want to convert it to JPEG, just select camera settings and you can convert it to JPEG instantly anyways without right. doing any processing. But right. in case you don't like what the camera did, you have that raw image to fall back on. Right, right. So, yeah, because the, the, the fright for me, and I, I agree with you. I agree with both of you guys. The fright for me would be, especially going to some exotic location like you guys go to and you get the shot of your life for some, you know, for some reason, but you were shooting JPEG and it would have been perfect if you can just pull out a little bit more detail from the sky or from the shadows exactly. or whatever. You know? The other thing is that raw images have um, leeway in terms of uh, adjusting exposure. Mm -hmm. So let's suppose that you shoot JPEG, you, you shoot an image and your JPEG image has a slight overexposure in highlights, right? Um, if, it, if it's less than a stop or a stop and a half or even two stops, uh, today's software, you can bring it back. Yeah. Very yeah. easily. Very easily. So um, you shoot JPEG, you come back from exotic location, and you say, darn, that water looks awfully white because there's no detail in it. Yeah. Um, or you can say, I have a raw image. No problem. I can fix it. Yeah. Verena, chime in on, on this. You know, I want to get to your post-processing <laughs> workflows as well, but I want to, I want to get to the face palm that you did. <laughs> so, so why is shooting JPEG only evil, especially considering the engines, the, the processing image, engines that some of these modern cameras have in them? They're producing some pretty nice, you know, like you can get velvia skin tones in mm -hmm. there. You can do some pretty nice stuff right out of the camera. And the that is Why not? absolutely true. True, but what if you decide two years from now that you hate Velvia, that you don't like the look of Velvia, and you go back and you, you have this photograph of your beautiful daughter and her skin is hot pink? You know, what are good luck? Well, then, then that should have been a trip to the doctor. I don't know. That's the... Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> but, uh, reaction? No, I mean, the fact is our styles change constantly, so you may want to go back and undo something. You may want to change it. Uh, five years ago, my processing was totally different than it is now. I still go back and undo what I did then, redo it. And, and you know, a lot of times um, beginning photographers overdo things. Later on, they look at that and they say, okay, I'm going to back off on the contrast. I want to back off on the, uh, on the saturation of the colors and all, all those things. And, and the fact is we're all beginners. Even those of us who've been doing this for a long time, we're still we still have so much more we can learn. There's so yeah. many years ahead of us, hopefully, um, you know, yeah. where we can learn more and, and our styles are going to change. And, and the problem with JPEG is that once it, once it decides which data it needs, it throws the rest away. 
That's you can't it. you can't unbake a cake, right? Exactly. Basically. It's just gone. <laughs> it's gone. You can make some adjustments. Don't right. get me wrong. I mean, you can go into yeah. Photoshop, and there are amazing things you can do do with Photoshop. But the fact is, if if you've thrown away that that highlight data you were talking about before, it is gone. Period. And people will argue that you know you can go in and you can set your um, you can set your color temperature and and things like that. You can choose the default settings in the camera and say it, cloudy or or daylight. Mm -hmm. But what if uh, you know, it's broad daylight outside, uh, but it's not exactly 5,600 degrees Kelvin. What right. if it's just somewhere in between, you know, uh, the daylight setting and uh, the cloudy setting? Yeah. That happens yeah. all the time. I almost never use the default setting. I go in and I, and I, uh, when I start processing, I go in and I choose, um, I choose cloudy, for example, and then it's not quite right. I say there's a little bit of a blue cast or there's a little bit of a yellow cast and I'll, I'll make that shift um, from that point. The default settings in your camera are not magic. They don't, they, they, you know, the, the temperature outside in broad daylight is not always exactly 5,600 yeah. degrees Kelvin. Those are the, the lab coats. The lab coats geeks, you know, set right. those settings for you based on yeah. the average yeah. color temperature on the planet. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. It depends on how heavy the cloud cover is. It depends on the angle of the light. It depends on the time of day. It depends on, exactly, Jay, it, it, it depends upon reflections, how the light's bouncing. Mm -hmm. Is there mm -hmm. a red canyon wall uh, right there? And is it right. bouncing red light? You know, do you want to get rid of those color casts? I mean, these are things that we get asked these questions more often than just about anything else. Um, how do you set your color balance? And do you shoot RAW or JPEG? And I cannot count the number of times I've been doing a talk and somebody has either interrupted me in the middle of the talk or come up to me afterwards and says, you know, with their arms crossed and that look, you know, the look on their mm -hmm. face. And they say, oh, yeah. they say, well, you know, raw is stupid. Why would you shoot raw? JPEG is better. <laughs> and here's why, you know, and I just kind of look at them yeah. and I do the face palm because that's yeah. what the face palm is for. <laughs> the face palm is for people that ask face palm worthy questions of course exactly no and i'm you know and the thing is there was a time i think jay jay uh when he first started he was shooting jpeg um because he didn't he didn't know what to do with a raw file the fact was at the time uh there there you know there was no Adobe Camera Raw. There right, was nothing right. where you could work with a raw file. So what hey, the heck was it good for? I take the fifth you know? in about uh, plead the fifth in in that case. Oh, no, not sorry, sorry. <laughs> Did yeah. I out you? Ooh. Well, Verna, Verna, what about what about raw plus JPEG? And I, I know you know yeah, it's going to take up more space. But in the instances right. where you know we mentioned using a Wi-Fi camera or not a Wi-Fi camera, the Wi-Fi card yeah. in your camera, yeah, you could shoot. The you could save the raws and you could have the JPEGs transferred yeah. over to say your iPhone or iPad or something for right. doing other Instagrammy type stuff with. Absolutely. Right? Would that There's... would that make sense? That would make perfect sense. Yeah. In fact, a lot of times when people are shooting um, JPEG and they're concerned about switching to RAW, they don't feel comfortable with it entirely. Um, we will recommend that they shoot RAW and JPEG. You know, JPEG files are relatively small. They're not going to take up huge amounts of space yeah. um, on your card. And and honestly, I mean, most of us have uh, more card space than we need. I think, you know, I, I right. most speak of our for, students come with, you know, 30 cards. Yourself. So okay, I well space. I don't. I actually, <laughs> I actually only have two cards, but um, <laughs> but that works for me, yeah. um, and a backup. 
just in case. Okay. But, okay. Uh, so quickly, yeah. quickly before we move on from you, Verena, to Topher, yeah. I want to—I just want to get a quick glimpse into your workflow and how it differs sure. from Jay. So Jay's on the plane. He's—he's he's feverishly keywording and doing metadata. What are you right. doing? Um, I am feverishly keywording and putting in my metadata also. Okay, so um, you guys are in, in sync over there. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, Jay is using my original keyword list. Um, oh, nice. I'm pretty sure, right, Jay? <laughs> so, Jay, yeah, so Jay, you were shooting, Jay was shooting JPEG and not keywording before he met you, basically. Oh, man, I've outed you. <laughs> Life. life change for me. Jay. <laughs> we need therapy. Marriage. Sorry, Jay. Sorry, Jay. Um, no, but uh, actually, Jay hangs his head in shame. <laughs> no, it's not a bad thing, actually, for Jay. No, I did shoot JPEG. I, it's the, it's a true. It's a, I'll do a story about that. Well, wow. and Jay started photography uh, at a different point too. Um, when I started photography, I, I sorry, when I went pro. I was actually um, submitting images to stock agencies and I needed those keywords. Um, mm -hmm. I needed the metadata in there. Um, and so I started doing it. He didn't need it at the time. You know, he, he wasn't, he was printing, but he wasn't using the, um, the keywords and things like that. Um, so at, at some point I handed over my keyword list and suggested that he start using it because it made our website searchable and, and that's, yeah. um, you know, that's really good for us. Um, but what happens is the reason that we keyword right away is because as soon as you uh, process an image, uh, you're creating a new file, right? You're saving it as a TIFF or as a JPEG or, or, or whatever it is. Um, at that point, you have to go back and then you have three files to keyword or two files to keyword. Uh, it, this way, the keywords just travel um, with, with the new files that we create and so they're always yeah. there. It simplifies no, the process for us. Now, would you consider sharing your keyword list with the world? Yeah, just oh, share yeah. it out there. Oh, yeah. We yeah. Give I mean, it to us. There's, there's actually a blog post sure. um, that we have that shows partial keyword lists that we have. I love I'll start it. reading love now. You guys start writing it down, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I can actually, you know what? The, the keyword list is actually very simple to export. It's simply a text file. Um, if you and, send it to me, I will put it in the blog post for this for this episode, yeah. and people can okay. grab it, and and sure. they will, you know, I mean, they'll be at least halfway there than Jay was when they when right. you guys <laughs> met. Right. No, yeah, exactly. I was there full way because I just grabbed our keyword list. There you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. And you know, we right. add to it over time. You'll find yeah. if you if you look at my keyword list later, you'll find that uh, there's a, a location, for example, under location I have you. USA, Canada, Iceland, you know, nice. all the different countries. And then under USA, I have all the states we've been to. You'll notice that Texas is missing. Rhode Island is missing. I don't have all the states in there simply because I haven't been to those states. Oh, you lovely. Know? And so That's as cool. you go, you, as, you, uh, as you use the keyword list, it evolves. It's constantly evolving. When, it, yeah. you know, the first time we went to Nicaragua, uh, I added another country, and then I added the cities underneath and, uh, you know, things like that. That's cool. So, that's cool. It's yeah. almost like a it's almost like a hierarchical diary, right? Yeah, yeah. It it really is. You know, these are the places I've been. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys geotag your photos at all, or use a GPS tracker when shooting? We don't at this point, actually. Um, we've considered wow. that. That would be um, an amazing map to see. You know? We actually yeah. have something in works that we cannot share right now with you. Yeah. But we will in the next episode. We'll have it ready. Jay's the master marketer. You see? Did you hear that tease? <laughs> that like, this is like a little tease. We're working on something amazing, but I can't tell you. About it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm using all my marketing skills here. <laughs> 
it's working. That's work. It's the team. Yeah. It's the buildup. Cool. All right, Topher, Topher, what about you? So marketing, or not marketing. See, you got my brain around marketing now. The other side. Workflow, your workflow, post-processing workflow. Um, so what happens when you, so you're with your Leica, you've got a bunch of black and white, and I'm assuming those are raw images that you, that you got. Raw back, plus right? JPEG. Absolutely. Raw plus JPEG. Take, take us to the workflow. Like what, what happens when you get back home? Well, even before I get to home, you know, definitely bringing a hard drive or portable photo dumper on the road and getting them in multiple sources right away. Uh, you know, one of my favorite images actually came off a recovered, corrupted flashcard. And mm. it's the worst feeling in the world when you get back home and you realize there's some sort of file corruption on a photo. And, you know, that's absolutely paramount is to not only back up after the fact, but back up at the front as well. That's a good point. Back up. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Every file should exist in three places, online, offline, and offsite eventually. So I think when, whether you're on the plane or wherever, getting it on another piece of media is really important. Yeah. But I think once you kind of cull down your images to maybe the top five or whatever you want to work on, I try to do kind of a quick edit in uh, primarily Lightroom. I originally uh, used Aperture for a long time and now learning Lightroom and trying to basically spend about three to five minutes of visualizing what you want the image to be and yeah. seeing how to get there. Uh, you know, trying not to do cropping after the fact, always trying to do the right composition up front, trying to understand the tonal curve, you know, how much is in the super whites or super blacks, as everybody was talking about earlier, that that raw file really affords you the versatility. And then kind of knowing where you want to put the photo. If it's something I'm sharing online, I try to get it out the door as quick as possible, you know three minutes, five minutes or less, and just trying to get something quick and see what my friends and family think about it, whether you're sharing on Google Plus or Facebook. and Because ultimately for me, print photography is where my photos go. And that's a very long post-production workflow and something that you almost kind of give yourself a couple days to a couple weeks and ideally a couple months before you really print out a large format image. And I think when you share those images with those, you know, your friends and family, or, you know, your curated list of curators, as it were, yeah, right? you really get an idea of, uh, you know, how this image can go. And I think the immediate gratification side is like, you know, I'm going to post this to Instagram right away. But, you know, kind of really tempering yourself to give a couple different options. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's an old joke about pick three, you know, immediately make three virtual copies of your, your shot and process them in three different ways. And, you know, it's kind of like the Monty Hall problem of, you know, what's behind door number one, two, or three. And often the door you choose is not what your friends or family or those closest to you choose. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I had a conversation with Trey Radcliffe um, yesterday, who, whom you and I both know, Topher, and, and he was saying, um, he said something at the beginning of the interview that basically he has 70,000 shots that are not processed yet that then he'll yeah. just go harvest and pick one to process to post online, you know? Yeah. So people think that he's, like, shooting and then putting it online. No, he's going back to the Library of Congress and, and picking out an image and then posting that online. I thought that was, that was interesting. Well, no matter how many images you capture, whether it be just a couple snapshots or, you know, a big trip like that, you kind of have to build that archive. I think one of the most enjoyable experiences I have is that, you know, folder of, a, you know, a whole bunch of images and just on a random evening, you know, going back through your archives and, you know, seeing something new for the first time, uh, you know, the original Twip Joshua Tree workshop all those years ago, you yeah. know, going back to some of those images, which if I had shot JPEG would totally be not usable. But yeah, I wish I had shot raw on that workshop. I should have shot, I should have shot raw. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I did shoot raw. <laughs> 
Welcome and to I wish I had keyworded everything. I don't even know where that was. I should have keyworded it. <laughs> all right, all right, guys. Let's uh, let's move forward. It's time for um, actually before we continue with the show, uh, before we do the the jump into the Q and A segment, I want to thank our second sponsor of this episode, and that's Squarespace. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, and now an online store. Squarespace introduces a new commerce solution that allows you to instantly create a store and start selling products. Squarespace Commerce provides a powerful and flexible e-commerce solution. It's integrated to work with every Squarespace template for allowing sales of both physical and digital goods. For example, you can sell music CDs, MP3s, hardcover books or eBooks, t-shirts, all that stuff. There's a fast merchant account setup so you can accept payments right away, including credit or debit cards. And there's a single interface for order management. You can track orders. You can send email updates to customers. You can print shipping labels, add coupons, and more. And Squarespace Commerce is included with the business plan subscription, which starts at $24 a month when you sign up for a year or $30 a month for their monthly plan. Also, Squarespace works hard to give you and your website users the best mobile experience possible. Squarespace has developed templates with mobile-ready, responsive designs, which means your site automatically restructures itself to look great on any device, smartphone, tablet, or computer. And, of course, this means you get a mobile-ready store with the new e-commerce solution. Squarespace is fast and easy to use. It's got beautiful templates with 100% drag-and-drop functionality, and they give you better social media integration as well. You can automatically import, sync, and publish to and from social media networks with just a few clicks, and it'll dynamically refresh your site content, raising awareness of your social media circles. It's awesome. And Squarespace is exceptionally well-designed. They've got an award-winning design team and user experience experts that look at each template to make sure everything's dialed in and ready to go. And each template also has hundreds of customization options available to uh, so you can change the grid layout, the colors, um, and over 300 fonts to choose from. It just goes on and on and on. It's pretty much everything you need. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that integrates all of your website needs, domain, design, development, commerce, hosting, plus, to top it all off, they've got 24-7 customer support in case you get stuck anywhere. So if you'd like a free trial, you can head over to squarespace.com slash TWIP. You can sign up for a free account. You don't need a credit card. You can just try it out, start building your website. Then if you decide to purchase that website, just use the offer code TWIP5, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. And this includes monthly and annual plans. And don't forget about the free domain registrations for annual plan customer subscriptions. That's squarespace.com slash TWIP, and use the offer code TWIP5. Squarespace is everything you need to create an exceptional website today. Check them out. Now back to our program. All right, it is time for some listener Q&A. This is the segment where we answer questions that have been at the top of some of our listeners' minds. Question number one is from John Apple, and he writes, what software is the best or most widely used for shared catalog on a network or for sharing a catalog 
on a network. So, Tover, I want to throw this to you first. So, this has been a long time request to the folks over at Adobe for Lightroom to make it so that you can have a library live, living on a drive somewhere, or even on a centralized computer that multiple people can log into, grab images out of there and work on them and have it be in one centralized library and having, instead of having multiple libraries. What do you think? Is there, is there a tool out there or a piece of software that actually does that effectively? Well, in some kind of weird way, I think, you know, Creative Cloud and the file sharing opportunity is kind of what this uh, uh, listener is looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a solution you can spend way too much money, both in hardware and software solving, uh, specifically because of multiple users, that every time you want to add a new user to your network, it's another software license that you have to purchase. <laughs> and I think that can really be the hard part for finding the right solution. So kind of naming your price up front both in how many dollars you want to donate or work on for the solution and the amount of time you want to invest. You don't want to make something so complicated that it requires a full-time IT person dedicated to asset management. Um, you know, having said that, if what you have in Bridge or Lightroom or Apple Aperture isn't meeting your needs, you know, it's understanding what other options are out there. And the graphic design industry is a great place to go look. You know, there's solutions like Extensus Portfolio and others out there. So definitely look towards that uh, as a kind of small work group option, but you know, really be very specific on how much time you want to dedicate to it. Perfect, perfect. All right, um, we'll leave that one at that one. Let's jump into the, because we're running out of time here, let's jump into the picks of the week, um, which is one of my favorite parts of the show. This is where you guys, the guests, get to pick something and recommend it to the listeners. It can be anything as long as it is, is, it is somehow related to photography. Verena? I would like you to go first. What is your pick of the week? <laughs> My pick of the week is thegivinglens.com. Um, this is, that's uh, thegivinglens.com. Yep. Um, the Giving Lens is an organization uh, run by Colby Brown, and um, it's an opportunity for photographers to give back um, through photo education. And what they're doing is they're traveling all over the world, uh, Cambodia, Peru, Nicaragua, um, all you know, countries all over the world, and they have pro- programs there that are um, just incredible. If you click on the um, on the workshops uh, link at the top of the page, you'll you can see all the workshops that are available that are coming up over the next year or so. Um, they have uh, uh, three listed now, and one of them's already sold out for May. Um, 2013. I guess that's not a big surprise, but then they have another one in December and uh, another in July and August to uh, Tanzania. But, I mean, you're going in there, you're working with um, the people on location, you're having opportunities to photograph some of these amazing, beautiful places, and you're giving back. Um, And that's a big thing for me. Um, You know, with, I hear a lot of photographers say, I am a landscape photographer because I want to bring awareness to, uh, you know, the the great outdoors, and and I w- I want to do this to to make the world a better place, and I always felt that to me that felt just a little bit hollow. Um, you know, I can take pictures, but really I'm taking them because I love to take pictures, and and if people look at them and see that place and say, by golly, I want to save Yellowstone National Park, or I want want to send money to uh, uh, you know the National Park Service then that's wonderful but at the same time um, I want to do something a little bit more concrete um, so Jay and I teach uh, workshops with 
the Giving Lens, and we were there um, just recently in Nicaragua teaching and working with kids in the barrios and the slums um, outside Granada, which was an amazing experience. These kids are just wonderful. It was it was more fun than I've had in a long, long time. Um, That's great. And uh, yeah, That's so really I recommend cool. checking out the site and just you know, if if you want to give something back, this is this is a great way to do it as a, as a photographer and learn photography at the same time. Yes. Yeah, I love it. I love it. What what are those? What are the? What does it cost to to do that? Participate. Each web, uh, sorry, each uh, workshop will have a, a different price. Um, okay. They can get a little bit expensive. It can be between um, two thousand and three thousand dollars. Jay, does that sound about right to you? Yeah. Yeah. And it depends um, on the location and how far you're traveling. Right. The workshop exactly. is inclusive of all transportation and uh, wow. a hotel and uh, food That's expenses amazing. while you're there. You're only, so, you only have to pay for um, getting yourself to the location. That means a fl plane flight is right. the only ex extra I love expense. It. Yeah. They handle everything else for you and they make sure that you have what you need while you're there. Um, and they arrange the, uh, the workshop so that you you can walk in and and get your hands dirty right away, which is really neat. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll definitely link over to those guys. Jay, what what is your pick of the week? My pick of the week is to make sure that your users or your listeners can produce some amazing landscape photographs. So I'm going to give them a couple of suggestions to produce amazing landscape photographs for uh, your contest coming up. Oh, cool. Good. So my Do pick of the week is my gallery, which combines two Oops. interesting uh, effects, which is um, called geology and weather. So if you look through my gallery, um, one of the things we look for to produce stunning images is unique geology and amazing weather. So if you can combine those two in your photographs, your photographs will look stunning. So next time when you submit photographs for uh, for the landscape photography contest, look for geology and look for weather patterns. All right, Jay, I want to just go on record now that you are ineligible to enter our our contest. What? I was just looking forward <laughs> to that print. No. Well, first of all, you're already on the show, so half the prize is gone anyways. So. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> You are, you know, and no one would, you know, you can't have superpowers. So that's, uh, that's, that's good. Cool. All right. So perfect, perfect pick of the week. All right. Topher Martini, what is your pick of the week? Yeah. So a friend of the TWIP community, uh, Chris Fenwick, is actually starting a new podcast and it's Digital Cinema Cafe. And it's kind of what we were talking about earlier of getting a little bit of a roundtable discussion, more one-on-one, -on -one, but about a particular topic, uh, getting people who have a lot of experience in one area, whether it be, you know, color grading or different types of workflow and uh, getting that out there. So he's uh, starting it, I think the counter's down to 16 days from now mm. and uh, really looking forward to it. Very cool. Now, are you going to be a, a permanent co-host on that show? or, or Not free, for me. I'm free... hoping to help out uh, wherever possible, but... Uh, you know, especially with the crossover between photography and video. It's definitely a fun way for people interested to get, you know, more information. I love it. Cool. So the Digital Cinema Cafe at digitalcinemacafe.com. Easy. Awesome. All right. Uh, wow. We, we're through the show. That's it. That's it. So folks that are listening to the show, stay, stay tuned at the end of the show. 
um, for an interview that uh, that you'll just have to play it through to find out who it is because I'm not sure who we're going to insert in this episode. I haven't made that decision yet. <laughs> but um, that was good. That was a great show, guys. Thanks for thanks for coming on. My pick of the week before before we move on is I'm just going to say that it, it's going to continue to be this one for a couple of weeks, and that's my <laughs> OMD. My Olympus OMD M5. I'm, uh, I'm very pleased with the camera so far, and every time I do a show, I feel like I learn something new about it. So I've learned something new today and yesterday, and I'm still happy with the camera. Um, and my, my tip for the pick of the week is for those that are planning on going to random places in the world, um, for you know people that are listening to this, you can't see this, but I'm holding up my camera, and if you notice this camera, Verena specifically, look at this camera. You notice anything different about it? Oh, I have to make the screen nice and big so I can see. Yeah. I don't know. What am I what am I looking for? So I've got some tape over the Olympus logo. Sorry, Olympus. Oh, I see that now. Okay. So now it just looks like a generic like iStock photo uh -huh. slash shutterstock type camera, right? Uh -huh. It's just generic yeah. camera that doesn't right. look it doesn't look expensive, um, right. which is the whole point. I want it to just look like, oh, it's just some dude with a camera and I don't want this I don't want to steal that thing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, $2, $2 and a Home Depot trip and some black tape, and I'm good to go. And it's not damaging the camera. I can peel it off, you know, so it's all good. That's some really cheap insurance. Cheap insurance, you know, <laughs> lowering the risk, you know, lowering the risk. I'm going to beat up my iPhone next and make it look, you know, like an Android phone. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, yeah, Android I users. Yeah, I'm yeah, kidding. I can't. Watch it now. <laughs> as I as I do a show on Google's network, I know it's That's horrible. Right. horrible. Don't hurt, don't hurt the iPhone. They're 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 pretty. I know, I know. Mine's at the end of its life. Doesn't go through for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, Topher, let's start with you. Uh, where can people go to keep up with you and find out what you're up to? Well, here on Google Plus at Plus Topher Martini and at ToferMartini.com. Excellent. All right. And Topher, thanks for coming on. You have to come on much more often. Would love to. Thanks for having me. All right. You're very welcome. All right. Verena Patel, where can people go to connect with you online? You can find me at photographybyverena.com. Easy. easy enough. Very easy. Cool. And Jay Patel, where are you at? Uh, JayPatelPhotography.com or on Google+. Plus. Very cool. And on Google+. And you guys, I love how you diminish the Google+, Plus thing, because you, like, what do you have, like, 45 million followers or something on Google Plus. <laughs> no, <laughs> Small not country, quite. You know. uh, or a trillion. Do they have it? Does it even go up that far? I don't know. <laughs> no, but the point is, I know I can, but you guys have a, a huge following online for a reason because you're always giving into the community, all of you guys. So, you know, I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, and the photography community appreciates it by evidence by your, uh, your large followings online. So, very cool. Thank you. All right, guys. And um, thank you. So to keep up, listeners, to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check out thisweekinphoto.com, and you can join our community on Google Plus to uh, interact with us. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com or mediabytes.com. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. <laughs> This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, 
with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. Hello, TWIP listeners and viewers. This is Doug Kay, and I just wanted to let you know about a new TWIP series that Frederick and I have recorded. At least we've recorded a pilot for it. The series is tentatively called All About the Gear, and our first episode is entitled, Is Mirrorless More or Less? The Olympus OMD versus the Sony NEX7. Check for the link in the show notes or on the TWIP blog, and most important, make sure you send us your feedback. Thanks. Hi, I'm Frederick Van Johnson. I'm sitting here with Mr. Trey Radcliffe. Uh, you Hello. May, you may have heard of Trey. Uh, I don't know. You may be one of his. How many million of followers do you have? 100 million now? 200 million? <laughs> <laughs> no. A lot of followers online. No. So, uh, Trey, is today you're about, to give a, you're about to lead a photo walk in which you're going to be doing some pretty interesting things, right? So, yes. Uh, tell us about here, that, and then we'll dive into the Yeah, so we're here at this uh, Google event. It's Google mm-hmm. I.O. week, and we thought we'd do a big photo walk. So mm-hmm. Thomas Hawk uh, was one of my best friends, and I were going to do a big photo walk here, mm-hmm. and it'll be a blast. You know, these are always free events. Um, yeah. I usually do these when I travel to different cities around the world. They're always free, and it's just a good chance for people to come out and have fun and ask me questions or learn. I, I give tutorials and tips and all that's that cool. kind of stuff and it's just a fun sort of celebration of photography so people that like that will show up probably with their tripods and ready to do some hdr bracketing you'll say okay yeah. you know this is how you do it this is how right. i do it you'll give them tips like that this uh, i do this all the time mm-hmm. uh, i set up probably five or six places throughout the walk yeah. it's logistically difficult because now we have uh, hundreds and hundreds of people that come out to these things uh, but they're uh, they're still tremendously fun and uh, they're a great time Hundreds and hundreds of people. So this is yeah. going to be a spectacle then. So this this crowd of people. Yeah. And normally when you do these walks, you, you do giveaways from time to time. Yeah. But this this time you're doing something a little bit special. What are you doing? Yes. So we are giving away uh, Google Glass mm-hmm. uh, to one lucky person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it should be a pretty pretty fun thing. I know there's mm-hmm. a lot of people. There's people flying in from all around. Uh, That's just to get the chance uh, to get. That's yeah. crazy. I mean, that, yeah. that product, not to derail the interview too much yeah. about Google, um, but that product... Reminds me a lot of um, like when iPhone launched and that that fever pitch that was around the iPhone and speculation about what it would be and how it's going to change the world and it's going to be horrible, it's going to be great, you know, all that stuff. You feel the same way about it, or no? I think it's definitely a game changer. This Mm -hmm. idea, especially for photographers, we Mm -hmm. love taking photos all the time, and if it's just so convenient that you can wink or you know you can just say, "Okay, glass, take a picture," Mm -hmm. or just tap, it's really really nice because. You know, we are a little bit lazy. Even if we have these nice little cameras, mm-hmm. it still takes a little while to turn it on and then bring it up and take a photo. And but if you could just instantly do it, that's the way to go, I think. Um, this and is my, this is my phone. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's putting up a ring there. Yes, sort of a ancient typewriter sound. <laughs> that was a shutter. That was a oh, it was take okay. So let, let's let's yeah. switch gears a little bit. So yeah. let's let's talk about um, the reason for this interview. We want to talk about post processing mm-hmm. workflow a little bit and sort of get into your head around just how do you get in the zone when you like say after this photo walk, mm-hmm. you get some great shots mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, what do you do? Do these? And I know you and I talked before in a previous interview where you you have a backlog of images that you just sort of cherry pick and cultivate and that sort of thing. Yeah. When you finally get to the images from these, these this photo walk, what right. happens? Like, do you have a glass of wine, you know, some <laughs> right. legal substance? You know, what's going on there? <laughs> no, no, no substances. <laughs> I, I'm fully focused on this. Okay. Uh, uh, but I do. I have about um, 70,000 unprocessed photos, mm-hmm. and I process them out of order. 
And this all kind of falls under the, in the magisterium, the idea that I think that post-processing is much more important than gear. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that actually nowadays you can, you can come up with your own style and your own look through post-processing yeah. uh, rather than through the kinds of shots that you take. I mean, right. there's exceptions to that if you have a particular subject matter you'd like to shoot or a, a certain kind of lens you really like to shoot with and you have some sort of look in this way. But I think the post-processing is by far the most exciting thing about photography nowadays. Yeah. And so I love taking the photos. I love going out to collect the light. You know, that's sort of a, a sketch or a starting point for me. Mm-hmm. And then later in Lightroom and Photoshop and these various tools that I use, I love that. Usually I'll, you know, I'll turn off all the lights and I'll play weird music. And I have candles going. So it's a very, it's a very cool, zen, serene experience, this post-processing. And I love it because you know that when you start working a photo a certain way, and it just becomes more beautiful and it just feels right. This is a wonderful feeling. Mm-hmm. You really know that you've got something. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I mean, so, so it's, it's almost like you, when you're out shooting, you're capturing the clay and then you take it back and then you sculpt it into that final image. A lot of people think, you know, that the shots that they see of yours online, that you went out and you click it, you might tweak it a little bit, and then you post it online. Right, So, yeah. But from previous conversations, we found out that you, it's much more than that. You may take multiple images and merge them. Talk, talk, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I post-process unapologetically. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that will try to make you feel bad for post-processing. You're not a purist. You're not a real photographer. Right. Right? Right. Yeah. yeah, and I always find that attitude to be terribly condescending, really. Uh, now, a lot of these more purists, for example, they will uh, do a lot of manipulation with light and this sort of thing with flashes, SB800s or big strobes or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. They might use gels. They'll do all this stuff to manipulate the light before they take the photo. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, me... I do a lot of light post-processing with the raw files or multiple exposures after I take the photo. To me, it's an arbitrary time in which you choose to uh, add or subtract light from parts of the photo. It doesn't really matter. You were restricted before. Now you just have less restriction on that stuff. And I don't think doing it before or after the click is more or less pure. So, you know, if if any of these people out there, if anyone's giving you a hard time about post-processing your photos, just tell them to to buzz off (laughs) because uh, I think it's actually a a wonderful thing to post-process your photos. Yeah. It's it's, half the fun, right? I I think so, yeah. 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 Now, when you're post-processing, take me through that just briefly. Mm. Are you doing most of your work in Lightroom or is that just Mm. the the digital asset management software and then you're in Photoshop? Where Where do you live? Um, I'll give you a brief overview here. I also have a, a free HDR tutorial on the website that mm-hmm. I, I just changed. In fact, I just redid the whole thing from, cool. from the ground up. And one cool thing about the tutorial, too, is I give you my RAW files. So you can actually download my RAW files and follow along with me to get this same cool. look. Yeah. So um, what I do, I guess you could put you know, in the wheelhouse of... HDR, okay? Mm-hmm. But really, HDR just kind of comes to inform the final look. Mm-hmm. And so I often do take multiple photos of a scene, although you can do this with just one RAW file, by the way. You don't have to have multiple photos. Yeah. Uh, and these multiple photos have different shutter speeds, so there's dark ones and there's bright ones. Right. And then I use some software uh, like Photomatics, mm-hmm. and I use all these. Uh, I combine all these into a single photo to rule them all. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, sliders and that kind of stuff you can play with. 
and that produces uh, sort of a tone mapped image. Mm -hmm. And that's one image that comes to inform the final look. I might also go back into Lightroom and play with some of the RAWs. Then I might take these multiple versions and bring them all into Photoshop and layer them and mask them together to Frankenstein together my own little beautiful creation. That's cool. Something that could not have existed had you not done that, right? So this yeah. is you're not this is art, right? So you're mm. you're not you're not creating a a photographic documentation of that scene. Mm. You're creating what was in your mind's eye and what you feel like you want that scene to look like. Right? Yeah, you know, so often uh, a photo comes out flat or boring, and mm -hmm. it's not truly evocative. Uh, but sometimes when you're post-processing a certain way and then people experience your photo, you can kind of short-circuit straight into their mind and it, it confuses them, it surprises them. Mm -hmm. And it's, I find these kind of photos are the ones that are most interesting to me. Mm -hmm. you know, there's, I think there's something happened to our, our human brain over the past few years. Mm -hmm. And it's really thanks to the Internet and multiple tabs on your browser, stuff like this. Right. We can process visual information so quickly um, I remember back in the olden days when we would get a National Geographic on our shag carpeting and we'd open it up and then, you know, we'd look, we'd look at a photo like of Burma or whatever and we would stare at it for like 40 seconds or a minute because you would really look at it and drink it all in. Mm -hmm. Well, nowadays, I'm lucky if I look at a photo for more than five seconds. Because it's a waterfall. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. now there's something happened to our brains where we could just look at this little Cartesian grid of light and color and we get it like i get it okay scroll to the next i get it scroll to the next mm -hmm. you just go like oh that's a crappy photo let's see the next one so you're looking at people in your circles on google plus or facebook or mm -hmm. or wherever and you're just processing photos very very quickly you just get it but i find that those photos that i look at for the longest maybe 10 seconds or 20 seconds are the ones that are kind of mysterious mm -hmm. or like might have a mistake or there's something going on that i don't quite understand and short circuit that normalcy yeah. that you that you're you're accustomed yeah. to right so for some and i'm still trying to figure this out myself why are those interesting to me a beautiful photo that has something mysterious or a possible mistake or something i don't get these kind of photos are particularly attractive to me so when i post process i try to integrate a little bit of mystery into this, this is something that uh, one of my favorite painters uh, pierre Auguste renoir he said this about his paintings and he always tries to put something mysterious in there, something that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. um, this is very interesting to people for some reason. That's cool. That's cool. So let, let, let's talk, switch gears a little bit and talk about um, you, you recently. So there new, there's some new training materials on your site, right? Yes. Um, StuckInCustoms.com. Yes. So I don't want to lead the witness a little bit, so I want to just tell me what this is yeah. and why you, you built it. You and I yeah. talked before. Yeah. So the story behind how this thing came to fruition is amazing from a photography standpoint any business standpoint. So yeah. what is this thing? Well, we're always trying new things. Mm -hmm. um, we we want to spread the good word as much as we can to people that also agree with me that post-processing can be a beautiful thing, a very mm -hmm. life-affirming thing, and can kind of add a nice layer to your existing Punish life. Punish right? those pixels. Yes. Punish the pixels. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> They're yours to bend. The light is yours to bend. Yes. So um, we had a, uh, a workshop. Um, and I might do, you know, I do very few of these per year. We might amp it up actually because this one was so successful but mm -hmm. i recently moved to new zealand mm -hmm. about nine months ago with my wife and three kids congratulations and, uh, thank you and so we ended up um uh doing a workshop down there and we invited uh 20 people down mm -hmm. and our cost was uh, eight thousand dollars per person mm -hmm. uh they had to pay to get themselves to new zealand but then after that we took care of them for mm -hmm. about 
four days. We went out and shot everything. Uh, and the whole time, I had a video crew with me, this amazing cinematic video crew. They did an incredible job. And so we edited the whole thing together, and now that's available on, on the website. So it's basically, it's about four or five hours. Cool. And it's two hours of following me around and seeing how I set up my camera, what lenses I choose, what my settings are, everything from sunset to sunrise to middle of the day to nighttime. That's cool. All kinds of environments. I mean, you name it. It's, it's definitely landscape-centric, but yeah. And then the other half of the video is all the magic of the post-processing. It's what I do in Lightroom and Photoshop yeah, and Photomatix. Cool. We start out very slow for beginners. Like I don't, I assume that you know nothing about mm -hmm. these tools. Mm -hmm. So I go super slow and I move the sliders and show you just the important parts. Yeah. And then we get into intermediate and advanced stuff for people that really want to crank it. That's cool. So they can, so people can jump in. Like say I decided, hey, I want to dive into HDR. I can. It's basically I can, if I didn't have the time or the money to. Spend eight grand and go to visit you in New Zealand. I can just I can tag along from my yep. computer. Yes. Right. How much does the thing cost? It's ninety nine dollars. Okay. Yes. Cool. cool. And that gives yeah. you everything. It's not a membership or anything. It's like no, no. Yeah, it gives you it gives you the whole it gives you the whole shoot and match. Very cool. Yeah. Cool. Do you want to get a little discount to your your crew? Yes. All right. <laughs> you know me very well because yeah, I I'm, yeah. I'm very cheap that way, and I always try to ring discounts yeah. out of my interviewees. So yeah. how much can we get a discount uh, for to Let's listeners? do. Um, I don't know. Well, my friend, Curtis is over here. My COO is uh, 20 okay? 20. 20 okay. I thought he said 200. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> uh, let's, do, let's do 20% off. 20%. Let's do that. 20% yeah. off, and let's just set the coupon code as Stuck in Customs? No, we can't do that. Let's do, let's do Twip Photo. Twip Photo. Done. Can you set that up, Twip Photo? Twip okay. Photo. It's activated. Twip Photo for 20% off, and we'll link to everything from yeah, the now, this episode. Yeah, the now, specific, we have lots of things in our store. Mm -hmm. The one we're talking about specifically, it's the uh, the Landscape series, the New Zealand. New Zealand. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, and that'll be, will that be activated by the time they see this video? It'll be activated in how many minutes, Curtis? Zero minutes. <laughs> Zero awesome. minutes. It's done it's already. Right, he yeah. was ready. See, look at that. Okay. Cool. Awesome, Trey. So before we, we end this, this interview, yeah. um, I know you're about to go on a trip. Right, so yes. you are—you're always going on a trip. <laughs> you're always stuck in customs. Right? So you're heading to China this time. Yes. What's yeah. the purpose of the trip? And I know you were talking mm -hmm. about mirrorless. What's what's the deal there? Well, I'm just going to take photos and goof around and mm -hmm. explore. It's like me um, in Korea. I'm doing the same thing. All right. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's nice, isn't mm -hmm. it? So I have no real agenda other than just finding beautiful things to take photos of. Cool. And I actually just put up a post on Google Plus that was quite uh, controversial. And you it, like controversy. Yeah. You you revel in it. <laughs> well, no, I don't I don't I don't like see controversy for the sake of I'm not like contrarian for the sake of it. Mm -hmm. I just say what I believe. Right. right? Uh, so I put this up on Stuck in Customs at Google Plus and it got a lot of attention. And um, it is that for the past few years, the big Nikon DSLR has been my main system. Mm -hmm. Like a Nikon D eight hundred most recently. The big mega the yeah. big the 35 millimeter medium format camera. <laughs> and then my secondary camera was uh, my Sony NEX7, sort mm -hmm. of my backup, my little handy cam sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But what I'm going to do now is I'm making them switch positions. So my mm. backup quarterback is becoming the main quarterback. Interesting. So now uh, I'm going to take this Sony NEX7 to use as my main camera. But you're still taking and the Nikon along. I'm taking now the Nikon is the backup, okay, just got in it. case. Okay. And so, yeah, in the, actually, in the beginning of the article, I said, look, you know, Sony doesn't pay me any money. Mm -hmm. I bought my NEX7 full price. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't have any kind of financial relationship with Sony. 
So, um, uh, you know, I want to state that right away because a lot of people come out and say this stuff. You know, it's yeah, surprising. Like, well, what's really going on behind the scenes? Well, because nothing- that's right, though, because yeah. a lot of photographers do that. A lot of photographers, yeah. they'll, like... Hey, I like Nikon today right. because Nikon gave them a bunch of gear. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Well, and so the thing is, because people from your nice audience and people all over the world, they actually buy the other products on Stuck in Customs, we make, we make plenty of money. So mm-hmm. I don't have to run around and ask for handouts or that sort of thing. So that keeps everything quite... Quite pure. Now, having said that, I'm not I'm not opposed to having a relationship with Sony in the future. <laughs> Sony, right. if you're listening. Right. No, but anyway, I uh, uh, life's too short uh, not to use the best stuff and sure. not to say what you believe. Right. You know, and I think people that have been following me for six years on the blog, they just know that I I just use whatever I want to and I say whatever I think, yeah. regardless of any relationship. Yeah. So then, okay. So the NEX7. So you're gonna are you gonna be doing HDR and all that stuff? And will Absolutely. will this guy perform? I mean, yeah. and I'm, a le- I'm leading the witness because people that li- watch this yeah. show know that I just bought an Olympus OMD, yeah. and yeah. I think it's a highly capable camera yeah. and surpasses a lot of DSLRs in different yeah. ways, um, but they're different beasts. Right. So yeah. this beast is going to allow you to do the level of work that you've been accustomed to, and will yes. I see a difference? Is it, yeah. No, I don't think you'll see any difference at all, and that micro four-thirds system that you have is mm-hmm. very good. I know you're recording this with, mm-hmm. with one of those. Yes. They have a lot of lenses for that. Yeah. Uh, it has even more lenses than this Sony E-mount system, but this has enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly this t- 10 to 18, uh, this new one, I love it. It's a crop sensor. It's an APS-C sensor, so it's effectively 15 to 27. Yeah. That's good enough. But the, um, the Sony NEX7 is 24 megapixels, so it's plenty big. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new firmware update lets you do auto bracketing all the way from minus 3 to plus 3 EV. Cool. So that's you know, more than enough. Mm-hmm. And I can do everything that I need to. In fact, one reason that I got so familiar accidentally with my NEX7 is my... My Nikon 800, D800 kept breaking. My own fault, I assure you. Uh, but I had it probably, kept breaking yeah. as you smashed it into rocks, right? <laughs> right. Unfortunately, yeah. right. I shouldn't say it. I, I should say I kept breaking. There it. you go. Yeah. So, uh, and I had problems with the lenses and this sort of thing. So I had a lot of downtime, but during my downtime, I was forced to use guy. this, and I thought, oh, this is so bad. Right. You know, it's not so bad. In fact, it's pretty dang good. It's much lighter. It, the thing is, it's 5.9 times smaller. Than a D eight hundred five point nine times. Wow, it's almost, smaller in mass or in weight? Uh, in mass, okay, uh, or in dimensions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then in terms of weight, it's about three times uh, lighter. But each lens is all could be uh, you know These two, three, or four times lighter. They're yeah. all tiny. Yeah, and so it's really nice. It's no, just, the the thing that that I'm and I'm new with this Micro yeah. Four Thirds smaller body world, which is exciting. I love yeah. it. You know, I'm like on YouTube, all these different yeah. lenses I can get now, yeah. and all the different techniques. Um, but the thing that I'm still wrestling with, having been a Nikon shooter for 20 plus years mm-hmm. or a DSLR shooter for 20 plus years, is you're in this mindset of bigger is better. I need to get that D800 because, of yeah. course, there's more there. You yeah. know, it does all, yeah. and I'm not a pro unless I shoot with this thing. Yeah. But these things, I'm pointing at the camera that's recording yeah. this, these things are just highly capable. How do you, did you, did you have that struggle of kind of getting your, your mind around, I can do professional level work with this thing that kind of looks like it's, you know, a point and shoot on steroids? Yeah, because uh, I've been sharing a lot of images lately off my NEX7, and uh, people can't tell the difference. Mm. Uh, I can't tell the difference. I love it. Um, no, no one knows what it came from. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a Pepsi type of thought. Yeah. It's uh, it's wonderful. I um, I'm not uh, caught up in any kind of uh, old school mentality that bigger Good. is necessarily better. Yeah. And really, that 
in a lot of ways, carrying around that big piece of glass and iron with that mirror that flips up and down like mm-hmm. some old Da Vinci-esque device. Yeah, and the pentaprism and all that. It's right? silly in a way because, uh, you know, this does not have that mirror that flips up and down. The focus is amazing. Right. It's always a little soft sometimes, my D800. Mm-hmm. Not, I shouldn't say always. I would say often it's quite soft. Yeah. Uh, but with this thing, man, it's always it locking is right just on. locked solid. Yeah. And the other cool thing that I that I don't think that uh, your camera has is this. Um, it has this OLED, this organic uh, LED in here from Sony, mm-hmm. and it is unbelievable. In so the viewfinder. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. electronic. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not seeing what's actually there, but you're seeing like a, a digital version of what's mm-hmm. there. Yeah, it has it. Yeah. But it's so it's so sharp. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievably bright and nice and if there's a huge dynamic range situation, like it might mess up a little bit, you're not really seeing what's there. But yeah. I mean, come on! I mean, you know, you know what's there because you can see it with your human eyes. Right, right. And if you get a nice thick raw file, you know you're getting it. Yeah. And if you auto bracket, you know you're getting all the light that's there. Yeah. So you know, basically, so you're, using, you're using that for framing and composition. Yeah, for composition. Yeah. And then you just take your three brackets or just a nice thick raw, and you, you got all the lights there. Love it. Love yeah. it. I'm excited. It's for me. It's a whole new world. It's like opened up a different kind of. Um, uh, kind of photography, yeah. kind of photography to me because yeah. that camera, the OMD, goes with yeah. me now. Yeah. Whereas the yeah. D7000 or D3 or D700, it's looks, a commitment. They would stay at home yeah. or they'd stay in the car and I'd be worried about them in the yeah. car. You know. Right. But now this thing is on my shoulder and I don't feel like a photographer with it. Yeah. Although I, I feel like I'm like Clark Kent. Yeah. You know, I have yeah. superpowers, right. but no one knows. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. Because I have this thing, they just assume, right. you know, you play on the assumptions. They just assume that you're just yeah. a normal person yeah. that uh, that likes to take snapshots, you know. Right. But you have superpowers. So. Yeah, I know some people are concerned about, you know, what happens when I show up at a client event and mm-hmm. I got this little camera? Well, I don't, I don't, that's not really my world. I don't really have clients. Right. I just, you know, shoot for myself and for the blog. Mm-hmm. blog the blog and the internet is my client and they seem okay with it. Yeah. Uh, but I think if you've got a strong portfolio and you sell the client in your portfolio, mm-hmm. um, you know, why you show it and say, by the way, this is the camera that I use. They're this is how care. I do my work. Yeah. Yeah. Is- if, if you've got an awesome portfolio and you're, you're a cool, you know, awesome photographer, why not? Just, just blast in there and just rock. You got to own it. Yeah. You know, That's don't, right. uh, don't be sheepish about it and say, yeah, but this is my little camera. Just mm-hmm. go in there and own it. That's right. Say, I take amazing photos. This is what I use. Yep. This man. is my tool. Yep. Yeah. Cool. It's exciting. Yeah. Trey, thank you for taking the time. I know it's a busy day for you. You're going to ready to give away some amazing prizes and <laughs> walk around San Francisco terrorizing the place with yeah. 100, 200 plus Yeah, oh, we're going to drive security crazy. <laughs> I mean, you don't think they're like one guy with a tripod? Just wait till they see you oh, know, God, four or 500 this, tripods. Let's descend on the MoMA with Thomas Hawk. He's got yeah. some history there. <laughs> yeah, no, we're going to get revenge in all these places. <laughs> Yes. See, if the, see if the security right. guards can kick us all out of this. No, this time. is like a flash mob uh, vigil, vigilante group. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, Trey, thank you. Yeah, sure. I appreciate it. Awesome. Cool. All right. Trey Radcliffe, stuckincustoms.com.